Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the 199th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Grace Watch Media and Jeff Barahand. I am Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. 199, are you out of your mind? I am. Do you remember those commercials? Yeah, is it for pizza or for I think it's like maybe like hamburgers or... I don't know. Are you out of your mind? Today we've got Joe Hardesty on the podcast. He's a producer who's done a ton of awesome television shows. Dead to Me, American Vandal, Seasons 1 and 2, a CBS all-access show called... No Activity. Yeah, he's done... I mean, basically he does Dead to Me, which to me is all that matters. And he did American Vandal, and I think that's pretty freaking awesome for a guy... That was like literally a PA last time I talked to him. <laughs> <laughs> Not literally. He's uh, an old friend, but we yeah, both but worked with him. Literally, I mean figuratively. Yeah, yeah. 199, are you out of your mind? The Denny's Grand Slam. There we go. That's what it was. Was it the Lenny's Denny's ladies? Do you remember? Maybe they like, only at Lenny's. Denny's. Denny's. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Joe Hardesty, yeah. he. It's a really good talk about just, you know, how he climbed his way to the top. And honestly, like... Unlike most episodes where the answer is usually some form of just shoot it, I feel like his answer is a little bit more of just stick with it and be really good at your job. And that is like, I know from being friends with a lot of people that hired him as a PA and then as a coordinator and then as a producer that they just always knew he was like the best person to hire, just insanely reliable, insanely hardworking, smart. Even tempered. Yeah. And never like above the job. Uh, And I think it's very apparent even from our interview with him. Yeah. A real class act that Joe Hardesty, and we're so excited about his successes. So if you want to learn more about how to become as big a big shot as Joe is, check this episode out. Yeah. And if you would rather spend your time patronizing us, is that what it's called? Patronizing? Patreonizing. Patreonizing us. Check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash justshootitpod. It's a place where you can throw a few bucks a month to us if you feel like you're getting something useful out of the podcast. And it just helps support all the great programs that we bring you here on Just Shoot It, including Just Shoot It and an occasional live show, which we're doing in March. Just Shoot It. March 15th, potentially. Brought to you by listeners like you. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, let's talk. A lot of 90s TV references for me today. <laughs> a little punchy. Sit, boo-boo. Sit. <laughs> Good dog. Okay, here's Joe. Hit us with the hit list here, Joe. The, we're talking. We're talking. American uh, Vandal. American Vandal. Dead to Me. Dead to Me. No Activity, which is a CBS All Access show. I did this doc for HBO called Farrell Takes the Field. Starring like, Will Farrell. Did starring the Will Farrell. Uh, along um, with Colin. Along with our friend Evan Kospar. Along with Evan Kospar. Yeah. I, I watched f- it because I thought it was Colin Farrell, and when it was Will Farrell, I just turned it off. Yeah. Get that like, what a waste of time. My first television show that ever aired on television was a little show called Foul Ball. I didn't know it was your first. That was my first. Oh, is that what you did? Yeah. The CBS thing? That I produced myself. Yeah, that was was Foul Ball. Oh, wow. That's so funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was my first TV show. Yeah, me too. I was like, how did I get here? This is insane. You also produced the hit viral video, House of Thrones. House of Thrones. (laughs) Did House of Thrones. Did a couple. We did some industrial video in Vegas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you work on that Hulu show that Eben and Joe produced? No. Basketball one? No, no, we got, we got next now. Oh, yeah. Didn't do that one. 
Uh, I did though back but college humor. You did a bunch of stuff. Right? Yeah, I was. I did a bunch of college humor stuff. I'd work with Funnier Die for a bit, doing some of their longer form series and some pilots. Uh, I did a couple of independent films. One of which, I think, my my first big thing that I produced on my own, which was this movie, which has many titles. I'm going to call it by, I think what's on IMDb, which is Backup Boyfriend, which is my least favorite title. It was originally called Mr. Intangibles, and then it was called Bad Fan. And then a distributor called it Backup Boyfriend. And I don't know what it it is on IMDb. It's one of those three. So for all of those people going to check it out on IMDb, use all three names. Um, But that was the movie that you wrote and that was the movie that I produced and acted in. My buddy Ben Belay wrote it and directed it, and that was back in 2012. And then after that, I did another very you know that was a super low budget film. I did another low budget film the next year called Let's Kill Ward's Wife, which was. Yeah, with Scott Scott Foley and Patrick Wilson and Donald Faison, some other. Somehow you got in with like Will Arnett and his people too. Yeah, I got in with them, just doing weird comedy industrial. College humor stuff was like college humor and Will Arnett were pretty tight there for a while. Right, right, with Dum Dum. Yeah, yeah, I was doing a bunch of Dum Dum stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, Uh, enough credits. We get it. All I heard was dead to me, guys. (laughs) I work. No, but so let's. Can we just talk about how you went from PA to producing? I think American Vandal is probably your biggest jump, right? Because you were co-EP on that. What's your? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah. Let, let's just. Sure. Yeah. I, I and I will be that. the first to admit that I got I, I caught some some breaks that uh, enabled me to to maybe raise through the ranks faster than a, a typical producer, especially in television. But yeah, it started that fateful day or that fateful year probably when I moved to LA. As an actor. As an actor. And ran out of money within a very few months, like three months. I started selling all the things I owned. Um, and I started working as a PA. Because I had, I, I, had, I had grew up around cameras. My dad shot stuff back up in Alaska where I'm from. And in college, I had interned at The Daily Show and SNL. So I, like, I, was, I was familiar with, you know, the kind of the industry and, and things like that. So I was able to pretty seamlessly jump in and start PAing. And I met some folks that were doing low budget features and low budget comedy stuff. Um, Wait, did you go to film school or no? No, no, I studied, uh, I went to, I went to NYU. So it was adjacent to the film school, but no, I studied uh, music and journalism. Useless stuff. You totally useless, <laughs> completely. I mean, not super profitable. We didn't realize at the time, right? But the music industry and journalism they're both crumbling, right? So well, journalism is still pretty cool. It's Music so cool, dying, dying. But kill. also, like you know, there are not as many professional journalism journalists as there were maybe when you first started. I had school. no interest in being a journalist, which oh, is I funny. I, I I enjoy journalism because my my parents were both journalists. Uh, but you when thought I was it was like about journaling. Yeah, I thought it was more of a journaling thing. No, I I liked it. I I mean, I I still do love journalism, and for a long time, I kind of romanticized. But oh, maybe I'll transition into that at some point in the career. But I think that also that itch can be scratched with documentaries. And but yeah, I I kind of didn't have any intention to pursue a career in either music or journalism, which is funny that I would choose to spend so much money studying those things. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all that is to say, I was at NYU, so I was amongst a lot of film students I was making things on my own acting and producing and writing and all that kind of stuff in college moved to LA 
run out of money, start being a production assistant. So I started working with a couple guys that we both know, Inman Young and Joe McAleer. They were doing low-budget films, low-budget comedies, pilots, things like that. And what's really cool, what like I... Like outside of the studio system. They're yeah, not outside of the like studio system. They're not yeah. ABC pilot. They're doing like a YouTube pilot. Yeah. For, and what I think was really cool and why I'm so grateful that I fell into that is because I think that, and I see this a lot in TV, is like if you jump in as a PA on a big TV show, you're going to be a PA for years. And then you're going to maybe get that APOC break and, and be in a, a assistant, assistant production office coordinator. And then you got to be that for a couple of years before Which you can make... Which is you're in the office, like... You're in the office, yeah. And coordinating then, parking and stuff like that? Everything. POs and a lot of minutiae. And then you have a few years of that before you're able to take the step up to coordinator. And then you have a few five, seven years of that before you can be a supervisor. And then, you know, it's like it, if you get in the bigger structure that is network TV or bigger studio stuff, I do think it just, it takes, you really have to earn your stripes. You can't just jump in, be a PA once and be like, oh, that's cool. I can do this yeah. now. Yeah, sure. But you're also surrounded by people who are have been doing it longer that won it also so that I assume right. you kind of have people that are kind of pushing you down a little bit. Well, and like also, telling you to get in line. I, I mean, maybe, maybe not, but that kind of I think is an office-to-office problem. But there is so much about making a network television show. You have to be so detail-oriented that just getting good at that job takes a little while. Yeah, you know? no, there's there's so much more, and there's more at stake, and there's more there's more volume, there's more people, there's more numbers, there's more elements, yeah, more um, episodes even. Yeah, you know? yeah. Versus jumping into do a 12 day feature, you know, I could come in as an office PA and, and then <laughs> and jump and, be on. <laughs> and then, you know, and then I'm the set PA and then yeah. I'm the post PA. And then and now all of a sudden, you, you know, you're able to, for me, I was, I was very hungry when I came out here and, and I quickly found out that I, I liked what I was doing and I was good at it. And so I just very quickly was trying to progress and elevate and, and make the jump. So yeah, I, I came up doing the production office route, which was a production assistant to a coordinator to a, a supervisor into producing. And do you think it was important that you kept working with the same producers or did you try to, do you think it's important to try to work with like a bunch of different people? I think it, it definitely, I think there's advantages to both. I think in my particular case, I was coming up underneath someone who was very uh, willing to help me elevate and still to this day, I mean, uh, I consider him a a mentor and a a friend and he's someone I still call for, you know, questions or things like that or want to pick his brain about something. So I think that there's something that can be amazing about sticking with one person because you can really grow under them, especially if they're helping lift you up. I also think it's really cool to see the different styles of different producers because there's so many different ways that you can go about making a TV show or making a movie. Like as far as attitude, how you structure an office, how you work with your show, you know, like there's so many different styles. So I think that it's really cool. And one thing that I I probably didn't do enough because I I did, not that it was insular, but I just so happened to work with the same producing team. So I didn't get as many like producers I got to work with. But I do think like that's, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with either way. But back to my kind of how I got here. So yeah, I just, I got in with this team. They were busy. The internet was a thing that was now spending money to make things. Sure. <laughs> you were kind of were like perfectly timed to have a resume to be the guy that they call. They couldn't call the person you are now, right? Um, but they also were beginning to spend money. I remember you and I sat down 
a couple of years ago now and you were like, have you heard of go 90? Yeah. They're spending some money. I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Like all, all of a sudden, like the, you know, college humor and the, these digital companies that uh, started, people started to notice and give them money to make branded content. Like branded was, I did branded for like my first big producing gigs were big producing gigs. I say like I was doing like a $20,000 budget. And to me at the yeah, time, I was like, Oh yeah. my God, this is, you know, this is so much more than you get uh, doing like an independent film. And so, yeah, I think I'd, I came around at the right time where I had been grinding for a few years as a coordinator and then supervisor and really understanding and knowing the ropes from like a kind of small to medium budget. And then when, when the digital company started spending money, I was able to produce those and now all of a sudden my producing resume started getting bigger and bigger because there was so much content being made for a digital comedy. And when you're producing, are you, what does that mean when you're producing something for Funny or Die? Are you hiring the director and the crew and are you involved in the script? Are you involved in the edit? What does that mean? It's, it's different from show to show. I, I think that at a base level, I'm always serving a line producer function. So I'm doing budgets, I'm doing schedules, I'm hiring key crew, I'm interfacing with the studio or the production company. Um, and then beyond that, kind of depends on my relationship with either the production company or the studio. Um, the, the last few shows I've done, Dead to Me is a CBS Studios production that airs on Netflix. American Vandal was CBS Studios for Netflix, but also Funnier Die produced that. But so my my on top of line producing, I'll work with just basically making sure that all of the heads are talking to each other and everyone's on the same page. It's really just a communication position, making sure the showrunner knows the studio's expectations on this particular thing and making sure the production company has approved this. That ha- You know, there's, there's just so much once you get a lot of uh, companies and people involved, like it really is a full-time job just making sure everyone's on the same page, has the same information, knows when to expect things. So yeah, on top of just doing the day-to-day, there's that's a big part of the job. And then also there's a huge interpersonal HR, human-to-human part of the job. I think that's you know almost half of what you deal with on a day-to-day is you have people coming to you with things, whether it's, hey, I need this piece of gear tomorrow or hey i need an extra body like we just can't cut it with three guys on the team or hey this person this other department head's an asshole and they're talking you know like they're talking shit to everyone about the show like so there, there's so much interpersonal stuff to just deal with just to make sure that the show's running smoothly so it, it, it's it's it can be as small as tracking a budget making sure the costs are okay signing payroll but i think that i uh, i pretty much always like to do as much as I can and do what's best, you know, what the show needs. And that more often than not is just being the person to talk to like for big or small. And so what about the creative side of things? It really depends on, I think my relationship with the creator. It's, it's, there's some shows that they have everything they need. They don't need another voice. They don't need another, you know, cook in the kitchen. And I'm just there to, you know, make sure things are running smoothly. Whereas other shows uh, where I maybe have a different relationship with the creator, like um, I'm able to give script notes and I'm able to give edit notes and, and, and working to, you know, at this location, we just, what was written on this page, we can't do for, for X reason. What about, could we move it to this? You know, like there's, there's, there's day-to-day creative decisions like that, that I'll work with the creators with. And then occasionally I am uh, able to jump in and give more, 
creative notes on script and edits, but you know, I, I, I just really feel it out with the person who I'm reporting to. And then, so on Will, on Farrell takes the field. Was that kind of your first bigger budget broadcast thing that you did? That was for HBO, right? Yeah, that was for HBO. Absolutely. It was the biggest at, at that point in my career. And this was four, five years ago, I think. And that was, um, right. Will Farrell is going to play baseball in like 10 baseball games or something. Well, what's funny is that I had done this show foul ball with Matt, which oh, yeah, was like a, direct a baseball prank show. It was a baseball prank show that we did pretty small budget. Uh, it aired on CBS. We also prepped in like a week and a half. Or oh something. my God. It was, it was something insane. really dumb. Yeah. yeah. It, it, like creative and everything. Yeah. We yeah, yeah. It with MLB, like major league baseball. No, was it was not. No, they weren't involved at all. Mm. Yeah, so it was a lot it, of. It was uh, a fu- it was a fun, weird little yeah experiment. It, it was a real blast for yeah. sure. And but, were you uh, a producer on that? I was a producer on that, uh, and that was College Humor uh, was producing that for CBS Sports. But that had happened. I th- I, I want to say that happened, and then maybe six months later, I got the call to meet for Farrell Takes the Field. And they, you know, asking me like about what, you know, what have I done? What maybe is like irrelevant? I'm like, well, in the pitch for Farrell takes the field is Will Farrell is about to play or he plays in five spring training games for 10 teams in one day. And I had this incredibly analogous. I, hey, I just produced a, like a funny, baseball funny yeah. television show with hidden camera elements yeah. and docu and, and in like all these things. And it, 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 aligned, it aligned so like perfectly that. Wait, how did you get this call? Who calls you? Is that is Eben related to this or no? No. So I had never worked with Funny or Die. It's was, it was kind of a, a nice convergence of two things. One was Inman Young, who, again, the, the producer I came up under, he recommended me for it. And then also I had just done that film, uh, Let's Kill Ward's Wife, with Patrick Wilson. And oddly enough, uh, one of the execs at Funny or Die knew Patrick from back in New York. And so I had these two I had two recommendations. They're both like, oh yeah, you should definitely hire this guy. And well, and also at that time, especially like the funnier die and the college humor people, there's a lot of crossover. People yeah. were kind of bouncing back and forth. There were camps certainly, but like if you were working for one, you might as well be working for the yeah, other. Yeah, as well. exactly. But also I think like an important takeaway here for our listeners is that it's like a lot of times people are like trying to figure out if they should like focus on one thing or one team or one group and like grow together or do a bunch of different things. But so many times you get the job because two totally different people mm-hmm. recommended you. Yeah. That's how I got hooked up with Ellen as well. Like if you're on two different people's lists, then yeah. there you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then you have a much, even like um, when I did that lifetime movie with Lori Lachlan, we had approached her, you know, through like agents and like the producers and everything, but also Eben who is our, our, all of our friend happened to like quit filmmaking for like a year to manage like a boy band. <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh my God. I completely <laughs> forgot about uh, that. A boy band that was put together by like um, Perez Hilton and whoever put together like the what, Backstreet Boys. No, the British uh, oh, uh, One uh, Direction. Simon. What was it? It's Take Five. No. What was their name? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway. He happened to go to a concert, like he, his band was performing at this concert and Laurie Lachlan's kids were huge fans of the band. And so he like brought them backstage and he's like, hey, if you ever need tickets, you know, let's exchange info. Like, let me know. I'll, I'll hook you up. And so I told him we just made her an offer. And he's like, oh, let me, I'll email her and tell her that I worked with you and that you're a good guy. And so, and I think that's, that's why, why she said, yes. she yeah. said, or she considered it because it's so hard to get 
actors to consider anything you know yeah even like a kind of mid-level actors you know for a tv movie so anyway but that's that's awesome so you got recommended for this job and it got recommended yeah and they didn't care that you hadn't produced well i guess you'd produced the cbs at the time yeah at the time though it was kind of this uh a bit of an unknown too they're they're kind of like it's gonna be for hbo but we don't because it was it was thrown together very last minute a la foul ball it was kind of like, hey, we got to shoot this thing in like two weeks. It's kind of this crazy thing that's going to be for what, HBO. What stadiums did you guys shoot at? It like, was all, it was all in uh, in Phoenix for spring training. So it was. Oh, but it you was, weren't bouncing. But you were bouncing between parks. But you weren't on you a plane. Not between. Yeah, yeah, we we didn't bounce you on between. a helicopter at some point. We did for for traffic and for th- theatricality. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize it was for theatricality. I thought I you guys mean, were bouncing Phoenix around. Phoenix traffic is for real. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it, it yeah. is for real. Uh, no, we bounced uh, back and forth between five stadiums, and there's like they're technically different cities within Phoenix, um, right. but and no, it, was it was all in one night, all in one day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was. I still, I don't think it'll be possible to have a crazier shoot day than that. Like every yeah, everyone that sure. worked on it was like that was nuts. <laughs> like you know, we worked such an insanely long day, and we're. I got like sick in the middle of the day, and I was like sure, throwing yeah. up in the bathroom, and yeah, like. Yeah. Were you on the helicopter? No, oh, no. Oh, the helicopter was God, just huh? yeah. Helicopter was just like Will, the pilot, and uh, a cameraman. Oh wow! And we were all in follow vans, and yeah, it was because uh, you guys had to get into a stadium, mm-hmm. film Will Ferrell, like yep. in a baseball game, and then get out of the stadium and do a location move. And Will is like four th- times, both again, both for the theatricality and for actual the you know. He had to change, like, in the van. He's changing uniforms in the van. We're driving oh, to the, the stadium. Yeah, he's and, wearing the uniform. Do you have a crew waiting for him, and then you guys are just going to follow? We had both. Like, we had yeah. a crew with us. We had we kind of advanced a crew to get us when we landed, and we had a camera in the car with us. And it was – we had three dock cameras. We had a cinematic camera. We had some phantom cameras for some slow – like, we had – like, How are you monitoring all this stuff? Uh, hoping. Yeah, I hope, really? I hope, yeah, I mean, like, it was... No, we had we did have monitors for There's our... a director, right? Yeah, we had a director and, and kind of a, an EP showrunner. And yeah, no, they had monitors. Um, and the, and one kind of stuck with the, the cinematic unit. One was more the docu. So it was... It was it was planned out. We didn't we didn't totally just right, you had wing two weeks it. Of yeah, prep, yeah, we so. had two full weeks of prep. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a crazy plan, but it was a solid one. It, yeah, it was crazy, but it was uh, it was sound, and it turned out it turned out all right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So off that, you now have like a bona fide HBO TV credit with Funnier Die. With Funnier Die, and then I, you know, got along great with Funnier Die. Uh, doing that show so they had another pilot coming up with comedy central that i produced it's called this place sucks it's a travel show it's kind of like an anti-travel show with um al madrigal and then that rolled into so that kind of they just that was their first job i with didn't them, know right? that you worked on that show i mm-hmm. know one of the executives on that show ian friedman because oh. i used to work at comedy right, right, central right. and he and i both have a huge soft spot for uh last call do you guys remember that show? It was mm-hmm. a Comedy Central travelogue show where Dave Attell would basically yeah. stay up all night in whatever city he was playing. So he'd start with a little stand-up and then like go crazy places. And that's why I want to go to Anchorage so bad. Oh. Because he went during the summer solstice 
and like it's daylight all the time and he's like oh man this is crazy and people are like fly fishing it's you know four in the morning or whatever uh yeah. anyway. I, am, I am from anchorage yeah yeah that's where i'm from that's why i was yeah. so excited to <laughs> yeah. but i forgot that you uh you made that show mm-hmm. so funny yeah so they just handed that to you even though you'd never done a tv pilot before it, well, well it was not yeah you already I, made two shows though i, I had done thing. a couple shows and this was not like a scripted show it was like a docu travel kind of oh, okay. a weird show so so it was kind of i was a, a good fit for that uh, and then they had this back when Go 90 was a thing. They had a handful of shows that they needed to make for them. And so they, after the pilot was done, they're like, do you oh, want yeah, to jump you on this? Burning Man or like the VidCon in the we desert. Did, yeah. Yeah. Tween Fest. Tween, we did, sure. we did yeah. Tween Fest. We did this show, Our Fascinating Planet with Dimitri Martin. Which I think oh, we yeah. were both so just, just shot that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah just shot that. Orin and I were both up for Tween Fest, but then the showrunner decided to direct it. I think that's what it was. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Showrunner. Scott Gardner. Were we doing the podcast? Who was a mad genius? Yeah, he he actually isn't the showrunner, but he was uh, he was an EP. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they just kind of rolled into. We had a good thing going, uh, Funny or Die, and and myself, and and they had a lot of work coming up, and they just kept throwing it to me. And the last, so we had produced two shows for Go Ninety, Tween Fest, and Our Fascinating Planet. Which I guess at this point, it's probably worth mentioning that Go Ninety was Verizon's streaming service. Was yeah, Verizon. No worth yes. reminding exists. people. Yeah, every everyone doesn't know about Go Ninety. Well, yeah. if you just started listening to this podcast like six months ago and you live in Milwaukee, which I heard Go Ninety <laughs> was huge in Milwaukee. Anyway, well, I'm gonna bring it up because <laughs> I think we mentioned Milwaukee once, but I feel like five of my no, listeners I, emailed and they're like, "I'm from Milwaukee. I'm the I, person you're no, talking no, about." No, I, no, I use it all the time. Oh, it's, it's like my go-to. Like, oh, I live in a big real city but it's not right. new york or Sioux los city, angeles Iowa. yeah 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 milwaukee's my go-to for that yeah anyway so back to go 90 which yeah. is a verizon streaming service which lasted for about two years i think before yeah, it folded give, give or take yeah. yeah they were spending money though mm-hmm. they were spending money they were money. they were yeah we, we were able to make some really cool real things with yeah you know, got 90 yeah. million dollars per show <laughs> um but we were getting pitches for the third one and I had worked with this guy, Tony Ascenda. I, I love this. This is one of my favorite kind of Hollywood stories because it's Tony and I worked together. His first job in LA I produced, it was, it was that $20,000 big budget mm-hmm. uh, branded video that we for did college for humor. College Humor. And then I got him in with Joe McAleer at Window Seat and he and I started doing these industrial videos together that are... Did you, you do the Mattel Hot Wheels? Yeah, all these Mattel videos. So we, we did a bunch like of these... Sizzles, they call yeah, them. like they were internal videos for for Mattel about their Hot Wheel products. They're more industrials than internals. I think they would take them to like toy conventions and say oh, like, hey, I check see. out our new toys. To yeah, people right. that it, buy could, toys. it could have been that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like Toys R Us or It's not KB a TV commercial, but it's like a commercial too. It's like a B2B kind of like yeah. to and other businesses. So it still needed to be slick and it was yeah, worth it to put resources behind it because... Some yeah, resources. we did yeah. film it so, in our some office. Some resources, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at Joe McAleer's house too. But... The la- that was the last project he and I worked on together is we both, you know, we're doing these kind of scrappy projects and he comes in to pitch this show for Go90. So you um, didn't bring him in for that? No, no, yeah. I, I, but I had worked with him. I'm like, oh, we, yeah, we should definitely meet with him. Did his he, CBS friend bring him in? He, he actually came through Owen Burke, who was at Funny or Die. And t- I forget how Tony and Owen knew each other, but it was already, CBS was already attached 
I forget how that. Well, his friend, he had a friend that worked for CBS. Yeah. That they yeah. were watching like a Sixers game. Yeah, they, that's what it was. Yeah, it was with Alec Botnick, uh, an exec at CBS. And they were watching a Sixers game. And I think he and Dan had come up with the idea that morning. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. pitched it that night. And right. they were like, oh, this is amazing. Let's, let's do it. Um, so he comes in to pitch it for Go90. And I heard the pitch with a few other people. And this, is American Vandal, this is American Vandal. This is American Vandal. Yeah, yeah. I forget if I mentioned that. And we all were like, this is no offense to go 90 but like this is this is a great show yeah, and this this, 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 can, this can go, go to yeah, somewhere yeah. else that's oh, not they go came 90. to pitch this for as a go 90 as a go 90 show. series yeah long story short uh, a few months later netflix has bought it straight to series and i was still overseeing some uh some of the go 90 shows with funnier die but basically they were gracious enough to you know i'd work with tony and I'd been working with them for so long that they offered me to jump on and produce that. So that was... But I think it's worth pointing out, though. So you have a track record with Funny or Die, right? You have a track record making documentary, uh, real documentaries, right? Even though they're zany, right? But they're off the cuff. You have a working relationship with the show creator. With right? Tony. With Tony. Yeah. And I had one other point. Oh, oh it's it, it was a relatively low budget mm-hmm. yep. compared to the rest of Netflix's slate, right? Like, yeah, it's a, But it's still like $6 million or something. Right? Yeah, millions and millions of dollars, but not Stranger Things millions. Yeah. You know, and so I think we but look six back million now. for like a, I mean, it depends if you consider it a docu-series or not, but if you do, then that's a lot of money for a docu-series. Yeah, right? yeah. but it's also a scripted series that has to follow all the yeah. know, union rules and scripted television rules. That was yeah. actually the one thing that we ran into a lot was you want to treat it like a doc, but you also have all the guilds that you have to adhere to all their rules. You couldn't just do it like a doc, you know? Well, right. when Tony was on the podcast, he said like that you guys were shooting somewhere and there was a fireplace with, like with a light switch or something that you like, I, I might be remembering this incorrectly, but he wanted to turn it on. So there's a fire in the background. They're like, no, we don't have permits to have fires on in the shot and like all this stuff, like just the simplest thing that if you were just shooting it in any other right. way, it would be so easy. Yeah. They're like, yeah, it's going to be like $6,000 to get yeah, all the well, permits and all that stuff for that. Uh, let me recommend if you shoot in Russia, there's just a little man with a propane tank. <laughs> He'll light anyone on fire for you. <laughs> for real, I did some cat commercials in Russia in the beginning of 2019. And I was like, well, how does the fireplace work? For After asking if there was a fso a fire safety officer and they were like we don't know what you're talking about and there was just like, like we he just, just died a man, of starvation just a man um in the uh like behind like hidden in the chimney basically with a propane <laughs> tank that he would turn on and then he'd flamethrow all of the fireplace and then when i'd call cut he'd turn it off and they were like don't roll for too long because <laughs> <laughs> he's in the chimney wait he was wow he wasn't in the chimney but he's like yeah. tucked around the corner oh it's so funny that was the plan. That was, that's what we did. And there's like cats running that, around. That stuff. tracks for the, for the Russian cat commercial. <laughs> it <was well. laughs> anyway, I and digress. So before this, you had done like yeah. big union, like a Yahtzee and SAG and all that I, stuff. I had like done, yeah, I had worked with all the unions before. But this was definitely, this was my first, I think, full union shoot. So that, that means SAG for the actors, WGA for the writers, DGA for the directors, IATSE for the crew, and Teamsters for the drivers. And, and do you have to be a WGA or DGA show for Netflix? Is that a requirement? Uh, for CBS, yeah, because they're signatory. So CBS oh. as a studio, and, and so CBS produced American Vandal, even though it aired on Netflix, it ran through the studio. But yeah, they have an agreement that you know every, everything they do needs to be full union. So. And so are you PGA or DGA at Mm-mm. this point? Nope. Today are you? Mm-mm. No. You're not PGA? Mm-mm. <laughs> 
How does you, that, you I, look offended? Well, you're a producer on Dead to Me. That's your yeah. credit. Well, producer Producers on. Guild is not actually like a, a labor union or not. It's just a an organization. Really, there's no sort of rights that you get because of it. Um, you get great screeners. You get great you screeners. Get health insurance? Is mm-hmm. it like DGA? You can you can through it get I think access to if you don't get health insurance through a different guild, which which I do, you can, they can help you, but no, it's not like the, the other guilds. But what about, you know, our friend Corey Knopf, he's DGA because he UPM like one show. I've never UPM. Yeah. I've just uh, produced. Oh, wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah. producers are not DGA. No, producers do not have any, and including line producers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is a UPM not kind of like a line producer? It is. Yeah. Well, it, a UPM often is the line producer too. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot of overlap between, you know, I can't UPM because that's a DGA position. Um, but oftentimes the line producer will be the UPM and they'll satisfy both functions. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's unit production manager, right? Which mm-hmm. is pretty yeah. much the person that is producing like physical in charge of physical yeah, in charge production. of the, the, basically the, the top dog of physical production, right. but he, you know, he or she and I will work basically together as, as a unit when we're, mm-hmm producing and and we become you know i'll usually if i haven't worked with them before we'll kind of split tasks and make sure that okay you know you're gonna handle all vendor deals and all crew things and i'm gonna handle x you know right and in order to be to satiate the union requirements you basically just have to have a person doing yeah you have to have that union position and uh, also probably i imagine a handful of other you know, coordinator type people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my, you know, my, my staff on a show like American Vandal, uh, on, in the production office was two PAs, a coordinator and a UPM. Whereas on dead to me, it's myself, a UPM, a production supervisor, production coordinator, an assistant production coordinator, production secretary and two PAs. Yeah. So it's a lot, the, it's a an, bit it, an it, indie film team. It's of heads basically. Yeah. Like you exactly. Could, yeah. It's and it's, and it's necessary. Once you scale up to that size, there's just, again, there's so much, you know, when you have 150 crew members every single day, mm-hmm. there's just a with, certain infrastructure that's required to, with union fringes and specific mandates. And then the reporting on all of that as oh, well. Yeah. 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 And so is there a point at all when you're like doing American Vandal? Actually, I don't know if you remember, but I came to Funny or Die. Like I had a meeting there with someone and I saw you there and I was like, hey, what are you doing here? And you're like, oh, I'm doing this show with Tony Ascenda. I was like, who are you doing it for? And you're like, Netflix. I was like, what (laughs) on earth are you talking about? Um, And I saw you guys like you went into a room and it was like a writer's room. And you had, I think, like the guy that was like the kind of the the showrunner. Yeah. Like, were you ever nervous? Like, now I'm doing this big TV not, show, and I... not really, because it was it was still so analogous to what I've been doing before. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it really, step. It's just a step. Yeah, it's just yeah. kind of like I heard this once before. It's really just kind of move the decimal place. The work really is the same. It's just the numbers are a bit bigger, and you know everything scales up slightly. But it's really the same work, and and. But you're like in the writers' room and stuff, right? On uh, no, Vandal. no, I wasn't in the room. No, oh, okay. yeah. Okay. I, I, I would, I, I you kind of popped in and I out. I pop in and out. Yeah. yeah. You just drop like a zinger or two. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then, All, you know, yeah. I guess at some that point, that one's for free boys. <laughs> I mean, like when you talk about tween fest or when you talk about unscripted travel show or something with Will Ferrell, like there's kind of these safety things. And like, you know, that Will Ferrell playing baseball at five different games is, it can only be so bad. Right. Yeah. Like, but once you're, you have kind of this, you're working now with millions of dollars and you want it to be like a broadcast quality 
like TV show that, you know, gets mm-hmm. another season. I don't know. I guess it seems like we when we like were expectations making expectations are higher. Yeah. When we were making Vandal, like especially once we got into the edit and, you know, that was a show where I got to I was there throughout all of posts and I'm watching cuts and the guys, you know, would pull me in and ask thoughts on things. Yeah. I was sitting in all the casting sessions. And but as we started churning out cuts, I think all of us were like, man, we think this is really good, mm-hmm. but we have no idea. You, when you're so right. close to a project, you just have you no think idea. It's great, yeah, you're yeah. like, I think what we're making is good, but I have no idea if anyone else will think that way. So I didn't, for me, of course, someone like Tony or Dan who created the show, and this is their you know, first huge break, you know, being creators of a Netflix show, I, I would imagine they felt a lot more pressure than than I did as, as kind of the facilitator. But no, you know, I, I've, I learned really early on to not stress. I used to stress a lot when I was producing. I used to worry about everything. I used Joe to, can't help but glance at me right now. <laughs> I used to, well, I used to micromanage a bit sure. and, and I would worry about every little facet. Anything that I could control, I would like worry about it and I'd lose sleep and I would try to do everything. And then, you know, as I kind of settled into producing and, I, and that probably is a byproduct of me coming up the ranks pretty quickly because I think American Vandal, this was 2016. So this was seven years into my career in LA, which is, is pretty quick. But I, I learned early that I just like, it's not worth it. I just can't, the quality of life when you micromanage and stress and all these things, I was just like, I, I can't do this. So I'm going to, the, the way I see I'm doing my best work, the way that I feel like I'm, when I'm doing my best work is when I'm just not needed. Mm-hmm. If I've done my job, I, I could be anywhere doing sure. nothing in, in the show, you know? So, so I just, you have to just trust the people you hire, um, that they're doing their work and they're, they're managing their teams. And, and yeah, that's, I feel like I would have quit a long time ago if I had continued to stress as much as I did when I was like first starting to produce. Sure. Okay. So American Vandal comes out and you win a Peabody award. Mm Mm-hmm. How much extra money do you make when that happens? So much money. We all got so rich. No, I I didn't make any more money. Didn't make any more money. No more money. You got a second season though. Got a second season. Yeah. And you did that. You produced the second season mm-hmm. too. Yep. And so I was, yeah, I was doing. I did season one of Vandal, and then once that wrapped, I did season one of No Activity, which was a. It's such an amazing show. I'm going to plug that show real quick because I feel like not enough people see it or know about it. Um, I did see a billboard the other day. Yeah, for they do. Two. They do yeah. good job with the billboard. Season out three. Right now? Oh, yeah, pardon it's me. It's out right now. Yeah. Wow. wow. Um, season one, we had Bob Odenkirk and Will Ferrell and J.K. Simmons and Jesse Plemons and all these amazing folks uh, on top of our amazing regulars, Patrick Bramall and Tim Meadows and Amy Sedaris and just like powerhouse comedy people. And who got, how'd you get That's that? CBS also. That's also Funny or Die in CBS. Oh, okay. So I rolled Vandal straight into No Activity, straight back into season two of Vandal, which we shot in Portland, straight into season two of No Activity, which we shot here. Straight into Dead to Me season one. Okay, Straight so how'd you get Dead to Me? Hold on, actually, before that, I want to go back to the Peabody thing because you were joking about how it didn't make you, you didn't get it. There's no prize money. Did your quote go up? Did the. No. 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 For, for, well, for me, again, it's like I, I, I do, I, I firmly believe that what I do is more than a, you know, a line producer. They, they, I was able to get a co EP credit on that show, and I do think I contribute a lot more. But I'm not a writer on the show, and, and I'm essentially. You know, I, I serve a line producing function, and and a, a Peabody doesn't mean that much. I think to sure. a, as a non writer, I think it kind of doesn't matter if the show is good. It's, exactly, did it run smoothly? Yeah. Exactly, right. Yeah, but fair. do you think? I guess 
do you think about the marketing of it all? Like, do you think like, hey, I produced this Peabody award-winning show. I produced this show with all these stars. I produce, Like, when you go to the next person, whether... I you mean, know, undoubtedly, that, that means that you're bona fide. Yeah, well, yeah. I think the Peabody, more than anything for me, like, it was, was so proud and shocked, you know, and really proud of our, our writers and Tony and Dan and our showrunner, Dan Lagana, because it really fell on them. They, they are the reason the show is as good as it was. I, I helped them realize that vision, but they, you know, they are the, the brains and the, we all put in a lot of blood, sweat and tears. It was, you know, not an easy show, but I was really proud of them, you know, like, and, and I'll, of course I'll, I'll, I would love to take the award and say, yes, I, I am also a Peabody award-winning <laughs> producer. Um, well, you are technically. No, I am. Yeah. yeah I've got a statue. Yeah. I've got a little. Yeah. See, there you go. Yeah. But don't you think that's yeah. part of what this whole thing is about is like, I mean, you are part, like, it's not like you're exaggerating or anything. Like you are, you know, a producer on the show. You were like one of Tony's champions from like day one, you know, like, uh, it seems like totally yeah. legitimate to say, yeah, I got a Peabody for the show I 100% produced. 100% it is. I, you um, know, even I, if you were a, a grip or an electrician or did makeup or something, like I think you could still say, like, I, I'm doing this. And I guess what I was going to ask next is, in the last like few years, have you worked on anything that you didn't think that you weren't crazy about? I've been so insanely lucky that I have really cared about the projects I've been doing the last three or four years. I, I feel like I haven't ever had to phone it in Every one of them has been really challenging, um, and for very different reasons, I've enjoyed them. I think you know the personal relationship with Tony on on Vandal was was an instant in, but there's so many things that were challenging and fun and amazing about that shoot. On No Activity, the you know the, the creators are so tack sharp and fun and good people to be around. And like it, it's such a funny show, and I'm really proud yeah, of it. Sounds real challenging to, yeah. to be around creative, yeah. funny people. <laughs> and then Dead to Me, I mean. Yeah, how to, so Dead to Me also seems like a pretty big step up. I know it's a Netflix show, but it's like Christina Applegate and, you know. It was, it, yeah. A high profile De- Dead to Me was show. a, was a big. And scripted, right? Yeah, entirely scripted. There's no um, baseball pretty, or, or hidden cameras. <laughs> no baseball, not yet. Very, very traditional kind of, you know, cinematic uh, half hour comedy dramedy uh yeah thriller dramedy but that came through through cbs so i had done i'd been working doing these shows for cbs vandal and activity for a couple years and they basically as soon as i wrapped up season two of no activity they were they were like i know it's kind of last minute but we have the show starting can you do you want to meet with a showrunner and and she and i liz feldman we met and truly the you know i don't know if you guys have seen the show but i mean the pilot i read the pilot when before i met with her and i was blown away i was like wow this is really incredible when i heard the cast it was kind of you know undeniable that this would be a pretty amazing project so i got you know and you had all that before you met with liz feldman i got the i got the pilot as i was yeah like right before I, i met with her which her like the story of how she pitched that show is pretty awesome too. Yeah, and she's yeah she's got a like it was kind of like on genesis, a whim, right? Yeah, yeah. The genesis of that's well, it, it, it's it's I, I won't try to tell because I don't know it entirely. But yeah, I mean, she's uh, how that show came to her is very interesting. But I, I guess when I, I had heard an interview with her that she'd pitched all these shows and everyone's like, yeah, maybe we're kind of interested. Let's keep talking about it. And then like last second, she's like, also this weird thing happened to me, and like I thought that might make a good show. And they're like, done, sold, make it. Yeah, I think I do think I remember that. Yeah. Real quick, actually, just to clarify for listeners at home, can you clarify the difference between 
when you say you have a deal with CBS versus the channel CBS at home on their clickers? Yeah, so CBS... Because they're like, oh, no. <laughs> you're making a CBS show that's on Netflix. Yes, yeah, yeah. so CBS as a studio... So there's two CBSs. There's the network where you watch all of the things, and then there's the studio, which it, it gets a little convoluted uh, and it, t- it took me a while to firmly understand the studio system but there's many studios ac- across town such as cbs such as warner brothers you know Fox, the, the, abc that they produce shows to air on their network but they also produce shows to sell to other networks so it's they, they there's they are separate entities so cbs network isn't necessarily you know, CBS Studios is not uh, beholden to air stuff on their network. They have they operate kind of like a very big production company where they you know acquire IP and develop scripts and work with other studios and other networks. Not to mention that CBS is also owned by Viacom, that also owns MTV and VH1 and all these other networks. Yeah, look, there's like two media companies. I guess three. If you yeah, it's super it. confusing. Yeah, yeah. but so. I guess my big question now is, so you've produced, like Matt said, you produced this baseball show, you produced this HBO documentary, you've produced this kind of semi-scripted, like docu-style show for Netflix, and I've produced this big award-winning comedy, like celebrity-driven comedy for Netflix about murder, I guess. Do you think you're in a position where you could find a new script or a new director or a new project or a new actor and bring them into CBS or HBO or Funny or Die or someplace yeah. and say, hey, I have a project and be like more like an EP creator producer than a line producer producer. Yeah, I think that's where I want my career to go. I, you know, as much as I, I love what line producing has afforded me and the places it's got me and the people I've been able to work with, but man... It's stressful. Sure. <laughs> it's a lot of numbers <laughs> yeah, and accounting. Yeah, a lot of spreadsheets. And, yeah. and a lot of hours spent doing things that, you know, you have to do to produce a show well, but it might not be the the most scintillating thing. So, yeah, no, I, I think, yes, I I am able to do things like that. Will it help me in a room? No. I don't, you know, will, will my Wait, resume... you don't think so? But you don't think, like, writing, running a trailer for Matt's, you know, teen drama, com- like, murder comedy... And and saying from the producer of Dead to Me, like you don't think that counts for anything? I not to mention I, I, the the literal fact that you know how to make that. I, show. I think that the challenge and forgive me if I'm putting words in your mouth, Joe, but like I think that people compartmentalize the way what people do, right? And so yeah. your position, even though you have a lot of creative input, traditionally is not that exactly. Right? So it's kind of like, well you know, would I take a story pitch from my mechanic if it was fucking awesome? Yeah. But like, no, but the, there is a little bit of that, right? No, I, 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 think I mean, it, exactly, it might yeah. be a, the mechanic, I think is like a gross exaggeration, sure. yeah, but, yeah. but I think maybe to, it's more, to maybe akin, make a point. <laughs> maybe it's more akin to like, I'm the DP of Mad Men and I've shot, you know, um, right. A hundred episodes. I directed three of them and now I'm pitching a new show to someone like, well, but directing is different. Right, like if you were the DP of Mad Men, but you never directed, and then you pitched a show, you'd be closer to Joe's position. Yeah, right? I, I think yeah, that but I, a producer. Yeah, I guess I, I'm maybe this is like a mini intervention or something, but like I feel like maybe you're you you have a producer credit. It doesn't say line producer on IMDb. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I, I think 
it will help me get in a room for sure. If, if it's a, a production company or studio or whomever that maybe doesn't know me, will it get me a meeting? I think absolutely. I think, will it help the show sell? I think that just depends sure. on the, sh- you know, the, like, right, but, like I think. But how many times have we heard like, oh, new writer, amazing writer wrote this great pilot. They're trying to pitch it. And no one is going to buy it from them until you put them with a sh- an established show or an established sure. producer, established company, established studio. I'm wondering, do you count as that established producer? I don't think so. I, I wish I did. I, I think yeah. may, maybe. So do Oren and I. <laughs> yeah. Maybe um, I'm. Maybe I'm, I mean, I'm selling myself slightly, but I really don't think that. Yeah. Um, the function they, that I've served in these merits. Oh, you know, like, yeah, can I? Have I proved that I can get the the job done and make a good show on budget and on time and deliver high quality? Yeah. Does that mean I can do that with a script? And and you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like Chuck Lorre is the what what they're describing. Like if yeah. Chuck's like, yeah, I'm going to EP this movie or this TV show. Yeah. Then we can hire Joe. You know. Right, but Joe but like, has that. He can say like, oh, we'll call Jessica Album or we'll call Dan. Uh, Fogarty, what's his name? I don't, the, I don't know. The <laughs> showrunner of American Vandal. Oh, Dan Lagana. Dan yeah, Lagana. Yeah. Or we can call the showrunner of No Activity. Like, but you if, have this network now. Yeah. I think yes. more often than not, though, is that is where you would start. You know, you'd start with the people that that can help Shepard from an earlier phase, and then you'd bring me on. Yeah, I think yeah. the role that I've been serving the last, you know, five years has been that. It's like, oh, you've got this thing, and it's ready to go. Great. Bring me on, and I'll help you make that happen. Sure. Um, Could you call those guys and take them a project? Yes. Absolutely. But, like, they would still be the person to really get it going. Yeah. You wouldn't go to the all of the executives that you know at all the networks you've worked at. Right? No, I mean, yeah. I, I, I could, but I think at this particular point in my career it wouldn't be as advantageous um do i want that to change yeah i think like that's something that i'm working towards and that in the night hopefully when i'm on episode 400 of the show i can say you know what yeah i was able to do this and and now i'm now i'm the guy yeah this is is great which is like i think it's just like the point is is that it's all baby steps right and Mm -hmm. joe you've been so good at illustrating putting yourself out there doing the work but then also like being there to at the right place and right time yeah right? like you can see a very clear linear line it was you. very incremental yeah. it was very you know i i took each little step and i probably took it faster than maybe you know others did for various reasons but i think i don't like to think of it as luck because of how much hard work and persistence and knowledge it is but it's luck you know i got a lot of mm-hmm. It, 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 there's a there's so much just happenstance and and sure. and things that are so out of my control. Why I got the call for this, and, and I think that I set myself up to you know, again it was super incremental. To and I me, set, luck is like the the opportunity, but you have to be there to follow up. Exactly. You know, yeah. so like it's is it lucky that someone was looking for someone with your skill set at the time? Yes, but if you hadn't done a good job doing all the things that led up to this, then you wouldn't have gotten the, the gig. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also you have a track record of successful shows. Like, I feel like if I went to my manager and I said, Hey, I have this project. Here's a script. Here's like a deck. Here's proof of concept. And I have the producer from dead to me that is down, is really excited to work on this. He would be more excited than if I didn't say, <laughs> yeah, you have, you have yeah. The, the shiny thing though. Right. I, I yeah. think, yeah, I, I think to your point, does it help a little bit? Yeah. It, it, would it inevitably get a show greenlit? Probably not. But does it 
Does it help, Shura? Yeah, I think I think it does help. Okay, you're good. right. Because I'm sending you, <laughs> you some scripts, right. and all our listeners are <laughs> yeah. going to email you. Yeah, yeah. Joe Hardesty at hotmail.com. Having access and a good track record for sure is going to help you. There's still, I guess, what I'm saying is that even though Joe is super successful and making all these great things, that there are also just there's always additional incremental steps, and you know what they are. And because you've done such a good job working with all these other showrunners who could get a show greenlit, that's no disrespect, right? Like, that's great. They'll be happy to hear what you have to say. But, like, it's just, you know, just because you're a big-time producer doesn't mean that it's, like, you're done and ready to go. Right, right, right. Right, that's all. It's not easy, but it's easier. You're both right. Yeah. You guys are both right. And you're great. Thank you. Um, There we go. So my last question is, so you've worked with, uh, of the newer, younger filmmakers you've worked with, like, Tony Ascenda. I don't know if Liz Feldman had done a ton of stuff before Dead to Me or not, but what are some things that you see that they had in common, like some advice you could give our listeners that are either directors or writers or like aspiring producers? Um, Like what are the things that you've seen that make people get excited about a project? To me, what stuck out the most, and I think Liz uh, Liz had been around, she'd been doing this for quite some time. She, yeah, she's been writing on kind of big shows and for many years. So I wouldn't put her, you know, she's been doing it for a bit. Yeah, she's more established. But to me, what I think what was a great lesson to take away going back to American Vandal was the Tony and Dan. I hope Tony listens to this and hears how nicely we talk about him. I think Tony does listen. Hey, to Tony. Uh, if he Joe, doesn't, his dad listens. Drop yeah. us an email. So, buddy. yeah, let's grab dinner sometime soon. I'll text you. Um, no, I think the the lesson that, you know, Tony and Dan were given this incredible opportunity and they worked so insanely hard for so long. Once we started shooting to when we finished post, I mean, I don't think they had a weekend for months on end they were working they were doing vo on sundays they were in the bay staggering our editor like they realized what they had and they worked their ass off and i think like that work ethic and you know i i did too to a certain extent but but they I i think when an opportunity arises and you have a chance to prove yourself like you know prove it prove it don't don't I, I'm at this point, like, I, I love a good weekend when, when I'm stressed and I need, you know, like, you know what, I'm not going to check my email till, till 2 p.m. today. But you can't always do that. And I know, like, when you have an opportunity, no, you got to be, like, tireless. Like, it, it was infathomable what season one of Vandal, like, how much they worked. And season two, also, they worked really hard. But season one was just, like, months on end. They'd come in on Monday and they just look so fried because they'd been working all weekend. <laughs> and, and I was just like, man, you guys, you know, hopefully the show turns out and and is does a thing and and pays off but like their their work ethic was inspiring and i think that's something that anyone can get excited about and you know it'll make you someone uh, the people around you work hard as well okay so your advice is sell a show to netflix yeah just and then have a good straight to serious show up when there's an opportunity yeah i'm, I'm saying because yeah. I, tony is one example of that but joe you are the other example of that right and that starts with the twenty thousand dollar college humor branded video all the way up yeah okay well, Matt, that. Matt gets it yeah, right. i don't know about yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome well thanks man thanks for coming thanks yeah. for uh, can, I, can i please talk about starbucks yeah oh uh, <laughs> yes hold on uh, we're gonna move into unpaid endorsements unpaid endorsements joe 
tell us why you think that going to Starbucks Reserve is such a good idea. Okay. And literally one of the very best coffee neighborhoods, maybe in the country, oh, certainly yeah, in the city. So I forget. Starbucks. So you don't like Starbucks. I don't have a problem with Starbucks. But I if you're talking that... about the Starbucks Reserve on Hillhurst, mm-hmm. then we're talking, you know, if you are okay with corporations, you've got Blue Bottle, you know. Half a block away, you've got Maru, the best cup in town. You've got uh, Go Get 'em Tiger. You've got Brew. You've got H Coffee House. There's, I live in this neighborhood. There's so many great, like, genuinely great House of Pies. Gibbs Cop makes coffee too. That's don't, true. Don't get me wrong. I love a good Maru ice sure. americano. I love a good blue bottle cold brew when the occasion arises. What I find though is that is Starbucks is so polarizing. The reason I'm giving it my endorsement is because I. I feel like you people know you work with it. people and people hate it. They're like, ugh. When I when I say, hey, why don't we run to Starbucks? They're like, ugh. You know, they give that <laughs> sure. guttural, and sure. I'm like, what are you talking about? You can get that. By the way, that kind of indicates like a, what level of people you're working sure. with. Sure. How much? Are, like, how, how rich do you have yeah. to be to be like disgusted <laughs> yeah. by Starbucks? Oh my god! I only spend six dollars or more on my coffee. Is what you're saying? For for ten months out of the year, an iced coffee is all I need. Mm-hmm. Starbucks iced coffee, unsweetened. $2. All I need. Yeah, yeah, sure. And then for two months out of the year, all I even want is the Christmas blend. It's all I want. <laughs> it's I, from from Thanksgiving till like right now. All right. You Christmas want me blend? over. Yeah. And then the Maru rest of the doesn't year. have a Christmas blend. No. That's oh, <laughs> Christmas blend is so good. I, my, my wife bought me some beans. I was making Christmas blend pour overs at home for Christmas. Ugh. It was so good. That was a real curveball for me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, look, so that's why you're endorsing that? You're endorsing the Christmas blend. I'm endorsing the Christmas blend, and I do think that their iced coffee is is second to none. And also, I mean, they are literally a third of the price of any other yeah. coffee shop. And yeah. if you drink coffee twice a day, like... Yeah, that's up. My, yeah. my wife makes fun of me a lot for this, but I also think that when you find a new Starbucks... To me, it feels like I'm on vacation. Like, oh, look at that Starbucks. I'm going to yeah. go in there. Wow, look at this decor. I, I feel like... Not the one in the Vons, though. That one's kind no, of no. But I feel like I can... Any day of the week, I can go on vacation and just find a Starbucks that uh, I've never yeah. been to before. Are you a member? Yeah. A gold member? Gold card holder? Oh, oh come on, Warren. Uh, I, mean, I think yes. we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's been a while, so I'll just remind people, if you are a member, you get free refills on your coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at this, it has to be the same location. Yeah, oh, they, kind of, they, they kind of fudge that though. You can yeah. you can uh, get away with things. They'll help you out. Well, that is wonderful. I've got two endorsements, Joe. Uh, only one. Uh, I'm uh, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Or endorsed fifteen things last episode. <laughs> so I'm gonna go lowbrow and highbrow. Lowbrow. Do you guys know the show The Circle? No. It is a Netflix reality show that's airing weekly right now. I think they're doing it in batches of like three episodes a week. But it's, a, it's basically if you take Big Brother plus like Tinder or like just social media and combine them together. So it's all these people who are sequestered in their own little apartments, but they're not allowed to talk to each other except for via social media. So they're just like dictating text messages to one another through a big TV that's like basically the app that they use called The Circle. And then they vote each other out each week and it is... And what's the drama? The drama is just who's going to get voted out. Like it's, are there it's, challenges? It's purely a popularity contest. There are challenges, um, but for the most part, it really just boils down to who likes who best, and which is meant to like you know reflect social media in general. And it is easily the stupidest show I've ever watched. <laughs> it is so aggressively dumb, and I watch I've watched every episode. 
It sounds interesting. I'll check it out. It's really dumb. I probably won't watch it, but it yeah. sounds interesting. It's on Netflix, is it? It's on Netflix, and it's called The Circle. And then my flip side is, if you need to just like mellow out or like write or something like that, and you, I love like finding good orchestral music to write to. The Marriage Story score is on Spotify, and it's great. It's Randy Newman, so it's got like a little levity to it, but it's still lush and rich and like a full big movie, like a classic movie score. It's not like John Williams style, but it's got plenty of girth to it and like is a real treat to write to so can i listen to it before i've seen the movie without a doubt yeah Great. without a doubt though no spoilers no no spoilers <laughs> they, they they they'd be great like remember the soundtracks used to have like little excerpts yeah. from the movie in between they don't do that no. that movie's pretty great too I yeah i gotta see it. it um i'll throw in a lowbrow endorsement have you guys seen my 600 pound life on hulu nope no check it out it's just about a person who's 600 pounds and living life. Every episode is about a different person that's 600 oh, pounds. Oh. How many episodes have you watched? Like five. They're not really oh, wow. 600 pounds, though. That's just kind of... No, they're just like obese. 590. Yeah. I haven't seen anyone over 600, but like 594, I think, was the first How would they not have anyone actually over 600 pounds <laughs> in the first few episodes? Hey, listen. When you're north of 400, I think, look... But then you got to change the show name. You, you, they might have been 600, but by the time they got to the doctor's office and weighed themselves, they dipped mm. a few pounds under. Oh, oh good. But it's um, it's crazy. It's like you know, you need to fire the fire department to get you out of your house yeah. to go see the doctor. Anyway, it's kind of crazy. But uh, my other endorsement is, and this is something based on something that happened to me today, is I got like these notes from a producer on an edit, and he just uh, he just opened the email with like, "Hey, here are my notes. This time code, you know, I, this isn't working. This time code, no build, break, build. No summary. No overall reactions. No like, hey, good first cut. Uh-huh. You know, like um, no macro notes. No, nothing big. And it's like, it's kind of been bothering me all day. I've been like, everything I've done since he sent me those notes. I'm like, and I actually I saw him this morning for a brief second. I was like, hey, are you gonna send me the notes? And he's like, uh, yeah, I'll try to get them to you by ten. And I was like, okay. I, I thought he would at least be like, yeah. Great, yeah, um, yeah interesting. So I'm really excited. Of I got a couple things. Yeah. See, yeah. I thought you were going the other way. I thought you were going to be like, it was so fresh to just <laughs> just get the notes. That's no, all I like want. I love specific notes, but I prefer. It's funny because I give like such specific notes. I'll be like, one second, we hear a noise, this player, whatever. But like, I always start off with like, hey, great, you know, I think yeah. like some restructure, even we're, if it's bad we're notes. All still sensitive artists, and it's yeah. easy to forget that. So whenever you send someone notes on their cut, like start off with like what you liked and then very gently say some things that you think they might want to consider as like restructuring or some things that didn't work for you or bumped you and then go into specific things and at the end say like you know excited to see the next one love to get on the phone see what resonates with you like what notes you you want to discuss you know but these notes were just like this part doesn't work this actor is not doing well see i kind of think that that's like uh, not being the the director or artiste behind it like like it's kind of super refreshing because i feel like it's like a joke anytime you're ever on but a Joe, notes call our anytime feelings. you're ever on like a our notes call it's like oh, we love this so much and this is so good and blah 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 a few notes you know, it's yeah, like sure. like it's all there's yeah. always a built up, whether it's good or it's shit. There's always the same right. build. But I don't need the we love this so much. I just need like, hey, I'm acknowledging that you just put, you know, spent many hours working on this thing. And thank you for doing that. You know, and everyone knows that if the note you get on, they get on their 
short film is like, oh, it looks beautiful. It means it sucks, right? Like, um, <laughs> like that's like kind of notes one one But you still have to start with like, this is what I'm enjoying and this is what I'm not enjoying, you know? Yeah, And just true. starting straight into like, this is what sucks. But also giving like... When you're like, oh, the the sound effect here, the dog, one of the notes he gave us was like, the dog's barks were like too angry. And this is a an audio thing, a audio only thing. It's like, can you find like a friendlier dog? Like these dog, and I, and I don't even know if like the scene is working, you know, like sure. that if the segment is working, the story is working. So just going into those such minute notes on a first cut, I don't know. I think on a practical level, there's the like, oh, we loved it, we loved it, we loved it. That doesn't mean anything, right? But there is a level of like, if you're sincere and like, here are the things that are working that that helps off the wings, um, (laughs) but also keeps us from throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like, no, preserve these things because they were worth it. They were good. Here are the things to fix, Yeah, you know? Right. No, I agree with that. And I, and for the record, I would I I always you know you sure. do you it's just common you know, kind of yeah. decency. Say hey, great work. This is yeah. this is this part of it. What you did is awesome. Here's some thoughts. Yeah. You know, don't. But at the same time, I do find bullshit. it kind yeah, of yeah. refreshing to be yeah. like, here you go. Yeah. Nothing, <laughs> nothing yeah, but yeah. notes. Yeah, just just throw but the good stuff know, in there. You are, don't ruin this part. Don't yeah. ruin that part. If you're Love just this. yeah, if yeah. you're gonna jump into just specific time code notes and be like. I like this. This worked well for me. This doesn't work well. You know, this. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, so then you have contrast, you know, like then, you know, like, okay, well, then this thing feels better than the other thing that they're noting, you know? Yeah. And this, by the way, is not someone I've worked with a hundred times before. This is like our first project together, too. So it's like I get the shorthand with someone. Like um, but yeah. So my endorsement, whether you guys agree with me or not, is when you are responding, giving cr- notes on something creative, try to give an overall impression at first, try to find something you like and try to kind of introduce the bulk of your things. I think some restructuring might help and then go into the specifics and then try to end it with, again, like re summarize, like kind of what's working for you and say that you're excited to see how it's going to progress. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think the the perfect note, if it's an email is the thank you for whatever you're liking about it. Like this, this is great. Macro notes, page notes or time code notes including in that is the love this joke this mm-hmm. this is killer this is work you know like i think that's that is important and then you have kind of final summary thank you it's the Wham, bam. it might be boilerplate but it's it's uh there's a reason it's there's a reason yeah yeah cool well joe this has been great how can our listeners uh keep track of all the cool things that you are doing do you tweet oh, do you instagram the, just, really. just subscribe to I your have, I have page. a Facebook. I don't use it. I have an Instagram. I rarely use it. Maybe I'll start Instagramming more. Are you know. on Venmo? I'm on Venmo. You can track my transactions. Um, no, I don't do I don't do too much social stuff. I I and unfortunately my IMDB only changes like <laughs> once or twice a year because the projects I work on are like seven sure. months long. <laughs> well, we'll so yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll text you text and you can do it. a daily update. We'll just let everyone know. Yeah, well, yeah. if you want to get black coffee today <laughs> for the crew, yeah, uh, Starbucks Christmas blend. It's uh. The iced coffee tastes like old Starbucks Christmas blend. <laughs> uh, well, listen, if you want to learn more about Joe or the things that we talked about or follow uh, the rest of this show, you can follow us at Just Shoot It Pod across all social media. You can go to justshootitpod.com to check out other episodes. And you, you can, can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. 
Or you can leave us a voicemail at one six two six two shoot one. That's right. Oh wow. Um, you can follow me at Mr. Madamo. And I'm on Instagram where I've been posting a lot of film related stuff because of some annoying listeners that complained about too many family photos. Or, or some positive reinforcement also. I've gotten a lot of good feedback about those posts. Oh, thanks. Uh, I'm at O Kaplan on Instagram. This episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams, and you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Additional ad music by Musicbed. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.